Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. Uh, in case you're wondering, what I am thankful for right now is to be back worshiping with all of you. Uh, I have missed you, and I am thankful for the opportunity I've had uh, to be out in the woods. Somebody asked me if I was job hunting over the last two weeks. I was happy to tell them, no, I was deer hunting, uh, and uh, the wild game feast is coming up here in February, and uh, God has made provision for that, um, and I'm excited about that. Um, let's pray together, and then let's open God's Word together. Uh, Father, uh, we are thankful for you. We are thankful that Jesus Christ laid down his life. He who was rich for our sake became poor, that we through his poverty might become exceedingly rich. Father, we have uh, every blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms, and we enjoy and are so blessed by our relationship with you. And Father, we... Um, we pray this morning as we worship you together, that as we open your word, that you might fill us uh, through your Holy Spirit with it, that our thoughts might become your thoughts and our ways your ways. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a real quick announcement. Um, uh, my secretary and the church uh, custodian has put in her resignation. She's gotten a, a better offer to be a home health care uh, aide. And, um, and so she is going to be resigning on uh, December the 3rd. So if you are interested in a job with low pay and fabulous work environment, um, <laughs> and great co-workers um, you know, see me uh, for either one of those open positions, either the custodial portion or the secretarial or both. If you're interested in that, we would like to talk to you this week and uh, hopefully fill those roles here without a hiccup um, and uh, make that happen. So uh, if you open with me to the Gospel of John... Uh, in chapter 5, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Uh, when we last saw Jesus there in the Gospel, uh, we saw Jesus, He went on the Sabbath day, uh, on Saturday, to the pool of Bethesda, and He healed a man whose sin had left Him crippled for 38 years. And uh, Jesus... Uh, has a very interesting conversation as a result. Uh, some Jewish leaders in Jerusalem at the time see the man be healed, and they are offended uh, because Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath. How dare Jesus do that, and how dare Jesus tell the guy to take up the mat he's been laying on for the last 38 years and take it back to wherever he lived? Imagine the nerve of that guy. Right, And so Jesus is confronted about this, and he is going to make a magnificent claim at the end of that story. He says, well, you know, the reason that I am working is because my Father, that is God, is also always at work, and I have to do what He is doing. And now they're really offended. 
Because in calling God his own father, he is saying, I share the same nature as God the Father, thereby making himself equal with God. So let's pick up the story there. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself, and He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man." Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, the most important thing you need to see in this section of Scripture is that Jesus is flat out boldly claiming to be God. He is not equivocating in any way. You know, if you get, if you, I don't know if they still publish these magazines or not, but there's Time and Newsweek still around. Okay, I think they're still around. Uh, they used to, every year, right around this time and at Easter, they would publish their kind of semi-annual heresy edition of their magazine, in which they would make, they would, they would get some professor in there, to tell people that, well, you know, Jesus himself was just kind of, uh, uh, you know, a, a nice guy who said and did some good things, but he never actually claimed to be God. Which, if that is the case, you have real difficulty explaining why it is that the people that Jesus went among and ministered to wanted him dead. If he was just a good teacher who said and get, did some good things, you know, I I've had a lot of teachers in my life. You know, went through all the all of high school and then went to college and then went on to get a master's degree. I had some teachers I disliked intensely in that process, but I never thought, you know, what I really need to do is get a bunch of my buddies together and we need to put this person to death, <laughs> right? Especially the ones that, that said and did all kinds of good things. Right? Why? Because it's not, it's not worth it. The semester's going to be over pretty soon. Right? You know. But you have real trouble explaining why Jesus 
was put to death if he never claimed to be God. And this is just one of the places where Jesus is very boldly, very clearly making that claim. And by the way, the Jews who are opposing him here in this passage, these Jewish leaders, are right to do that if what he said is not true. If what he said is not true, then they're right to oppose him. The kind of person who claims to, goes around claiming to be God is either a lunatic who should be down at, the, down at Methodist being treated with something powerful, some kind of anti-psychotic medication, or if he is lucid and knows that he's not really God, then he's evil. The most recent example of a person who went around claiming to be God is Charles Manson. And he's fully lucid and knows that he is not God, but he told all of his followers that he was. So the Jews are right to want to put this person to death if he claims to be God. And it's not true. But Jesus doubles down on his statement. Look at what he says here. Uh, in verses 19 to 21, Jesus is, we see Jesus saying that he does what only God can do. That I do only the things that God can do. The things that only God can do, those are the things that I do. He says, I follow the Father's will, and I only do the things the Father does. And the Father is showing me, I'm the Son, His mighty works, including healing this crippled man. When He says, more mighty works than these, meaning than healing this guy that you've just had an argument with me about. I'm going to show you something better than that. I'm going to do mightier works than these. He says, just as the Father can raise the dead and give them life, I have the power to raise the dead to life. By the way, is Jesus going to do that? Yes. You skip forward just a couple chapters from now, Jesus is going to raise a dead guy who's been dead four days to life, bring him out of the tomb. Can Jesus bring the dead to life? Yes, He can. Jesus says that He does what only God can do. In other words, Jesus in the process here, He says, look, don't believe Me just based on the fact that I'm telling you that I'm the Son of God. Look at the things that I do. Look at the evidence for it. And He says, I do what only God can do. Who can heal a guy who's been crippled for 38 years? Can Mayo Clinic heal him? No. How about Johns Hopkins? No. How about Northwestern University? No. How about some experimental treatment over in Europe? No. Who can heal a man who's been crippled for 38 years? God can. And Jesus is saying... I do what the things that only God can do. In other words, there's good evidence 
to believe that what I'm saying to you is true, that I'm not blaspheming when I say what I say, that I am the Son of God. And in addition to that, look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus claims to be worthy of honor that only God deserves. Look at the text. He says, The Father gives all judgment to the Son. That is, to Jesus. And then He says that whoever doesn't honor Him doesn't honor God the Father either. And then He tells us in verse 24 what it means to honor the Son. It means to hear what Jesus said and believe Him who sent Him, that is the Father, In other words, to believe that Jesus is the Savior whom God sent. And Jesus says that everyone who doesn't do that, every person who doesn't honor the Father by honoring the Son, by believing that He is the one whom God sent to be the Savior of the world, is going to face judgment from Him. He's claiming honors that only God deserves. He claims a position of honor that belongs to God alone. You can't do that unless it's true. Y'all familiar with the expression, it ain't bragging if it's true? (laughs) Right? Jesus is not just shooting His mouth off, is what He's trying to tell them. I'm I'm not having delusions of grandeur here. I deserve the honor that only God deserves because I am the Son of God. And finally, Jesus claims power that only God possesses. Look at verses 25 to 29. He says, I can give life to the dead because God has given me to have life in myself. The Son to have life in Himself, just as the Father has life in Himself. And I have the power to raise the dead from their tombs and to judge the wicked and to raise the righteous to the resurrection of life. How about that? He says, not only do I have the position as judge, but I have the power to raise everyone Righteous and wicked to life and to send one into condemnation and judgment and welcome the other into eternal blessing and joy, the resurrection of life. In other words, life and death divide at me. He is claiming to be God. He is claiming to do what only God can do, to receive honor only God deserves, and He is claiming to possess power that only God possesses. So let me ask you, if this was a court case and you were set on the jury, how would you vote? It's literally an unbelievable claim that a man... And on top of that, a man who is walking around in the only clothes that he owns would make this kind of a claim. But Jesus is going to go further in His 
testimony and he is going to say, and by the way, let me call some additional witnesses to support the claim that I'm making. Let me, let me give you four additional witnesses that back up what I say as being true. Here they are. Look at verses uh, 30 down through verse 40 there. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me that you refuse to come to me that you may have life. In these verses, Jesus is telling us that He is rightfully the judge in this dispute. That He is not the one who is on trial. In other words, I am not the guy in the dock here. I'm actually the one who judges the truth of this. I'm not the defendant. But nonetheless, because in a trial, a person who is the only witness in their defense is not regarded as truthful, Jesus calls four other witnesses in support. He says, you want some other witnesses? I'll give you some other witnesses. Here they are. The first one is John the Baptist. You see that there in the text? He says, there's someone else that you should have listened to. He testified about me. You look at verses 32 through 36. Jesus reminds these leaders that they are the very same people who sent a group of folks off to John to find out if John was the Messiah. And John said, no, I'm not the guy, but there he is. And they didn't believe what John said. He said, remember what John said earlier in the book? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who did he say that about? It wasn't about himself. He said it about Jesus, right? He says, John testified about me, and his testimony is true. And he says, Look, you all enjoyed John's ministry for a while while he burned with passion for God, but you ignored the point. You missed the point. The point of John's ministry was to put a giant flashing neon sign over me. To identify me as the Messiah so that you might believe in me and be saved. 
And Jesus' second witness is his miracles, which he mentions in verse 36. Jesus was not, you know, I think sometimes people picture Jesus as like this guy who's just kind of traveling around and he's teaching and he's doing some things. And then, and then all of a sudden somebody comes up and they need healed and Jesus is like, Shazam, you're healed. And then they kind of go on their jolly way, right? Jesus is saying, look, no, the miracles that I'm doing, I'm doing for a reason and a purpose. What's the purpose? So that you understand who I am. So that when I tell you I'm the Son of God, that you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Because no one but God can do the things that you are doing. Duh. Right? I mean, that's the idea. That it's to, it's to point out to people these miracles that I'm doing are the kinds of things only God can do. Hence, the person who is standing before you when he says he is the Son of God, that ought to make logical sense. Well, of course, because only God can do those things. Therefore, the person who is doing these things must be him. And in addition, he calls another witness. Jesus' third witness is the Father Himself. In verse 37, Jesus says, The Father Himself has borne witness about Me. Let me ask you, men and women, when did that happen? Y'all who are Bible scholars, when did that occur? At His when? Baptism. You're exactly right. Give yourselves a gold star for the day. All right. Uh, the rest of you, keep reading, okay? <laughs> um, at his baptism, there was a voice that came from heaven, do you remember? And it said, This is my beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased. Right? So, the, so John identified Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus' miracles identified Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah. And God Himself spoke from heaven and said, This is My Son. Right? So in other words, if you don't believe John, you don't believe the miracles, believe God. Because God intervened on my behalf to tell everybody who I am. And then He tells them, You've never heard His voice or seen His form. Which is, I think, a, kind of a subtle jab. You know, left unstated is the words, like I have. <laughs> okay. Um, but, and it's because you don't have His Word abiding in you. Again, again left unstated, a little, uh, you know, sato vache there. Uh, like I do. And you don't believe the one He has sent. And last witness, Jesus calls the Scriptures themselves as witness to His identity. Look at the text. It says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that testify about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you might have life. In other words, Jesus is reminding them, look, if you read the Old Testament through in a sitting, you're going to see beginning in about chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, 
where God promises that a Messiah is going to come, and then you move into Genesis 12, where God identifies a people through whom Messiah is going to come, and then it, the, the, the book continues to identify a, a specific descendant of that person through whom the Messiah is going to come, and then you get down from Judah down to David through whom the Messiah is going to come, and then you keep looking for this person who's the Messiah, and you get all through the prophets descriptions of how the Messiah is going to be born, and where he's going to be born, and when he's going to be born, and they testify that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus says, look, you read the Scriptures thinking that just by reading the book that somehow you're going to gain eternal life. But the Scriptures testify about a person and they describe me to a T. I fit the profile of the person the Scriptures identify. And they testify that I am the Son of God, the Messiah. You know the old saying, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, swims like a duck, has a bill like a duck, has feathers like a duck, what you're looking at is most likely a duck. Right? Jesus is saying, I walk like the Messiah, I talk like the Messiah, I do miracles like the Messiah. I was born in Bethlehem of Judea to the line of David like the Messiah. Guess what? (laughs) Okay. That's the idea that Jesus is trying to make clear. Given all that, and that the Old Testament says, under the testimony of two or three witnesses is a matter established as true, Jesus is saying, I'll do you one better than two or three. I'll give you four. There are four witnesses that I am the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. And His, in other words, His magnificent, bold, unbelievable in any other person claim is really true. And that leads to an absolutely inescapable conclusion that we must not reject His salvation. If these things are true, if Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, then we must not reject His salvation. Look at verses 41 to the end of the chapter there. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. But if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how can you believe my words? Jesus point in these verses is very very simple he's saying i am not looking for the passing glory that comes from other people i have come to offer you salvation in the father's name if you will only believe they won't 
They want to be the center of other people's attention. And what is worse, they think they're doing all this in obedience to Moses and the law. The fact is, they show that they don't really believe what Moses wrote. Because if they believed what Moses wrote, they would embrace Jesus and put their faith in Him. But because they haven't really listened to what Moses said, they can't believe what Jesus says. Because all the evidence of all of Moses' writings points to Jesus as the Messiah. And he's saying, you know what, it would be great if you really did listen to Moses. Because then you would see that I'm the one that Moses wrote about. The one he prophesied would come. The king, the prophet, the priest who is to come. And you don't realize that Moses opposes you rather than defends you. Here's the main point that Jesus is making in this passage. He is the Son of God. He is. All the evidence points to that being true. Jesus is not being grandiose. He's not having psychotic delusions. He's not blaspheming God in making these claims. He is giving people the straight truth. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, and He claims to have the power to give eternal life as a gift to anyone who will believe in Him. And He claims that He will one day sit as judge and send the wicked who reject Him to eternal punishment and to raise those who believe in Him to eternal life. If that is true, that Jesus is the Messiah and He is the Son of God, and I think Jesus has made a good case that He is, then... It is imperative, men and women, boys and girls, it is imperative if Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and, and life and death separate and belief in Him as Messiah, it is imperative that you do so. It is imperative that you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who came to die for your sins and be raised from the dead to give you new life freely as a gift. To take all of the penalty for sin that you deserve to pay with your own death and with your own suffering in hell and instead to have that laid on Jesus on your behalf and to freely receive salvation as a gift through faith in Him. It is imperative that you do that. Because rejecting Him will carry for you eternal consequences. I have said this before, but I will say it again because it bears repeating. Someone is going to cry out, forsaken for sin. Someone is going to cry out, I thirst. It is either going to be Christ from the cross crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And 
I thirst on your behalf. Or it is going to be you in hell suffering the just penalty for your sin and rebellion against God, forsaken by God, I thirst. And men and women, boys and girls, this is the straight truth. I'm making it as plain as I can. If you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, it is imperative that you do so, that Jesus would be your Savior rather than your judge. Amen? Amen. That is Jesus' testimony about Himself. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then this man... This Jesus who calls Himself the Christ, the One who is from Nazareth, He deserves your full allegiance and your full obedience. If He is the Son of God, then there is nothing that He can ask of you that is too high a price and nothing He can call you to which you should not obey. He deserves to rule if He is the Son of God. And He deserves to rule over every nook and cranny, every crevice in your soul, every part of your life, every room in your house. There should be nothing in your life over which Jesus' Lordship does not extend. Amen? Amen. So let me ask you, If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, do you have parts of your life in which you are going rogue? In which you have said to Jesus effectively, you can have every part of my life except this part. I want to keep this for myself. I want to have this area of sin over here. I want to keep hidden and in the dark and away from you. I want to to be able to to conduct myself as a Christian the rest of the week, but when I'm at my job, I mean, I really got to get some stuff done. I got to make some money. You know, I'm going to conduct myself in holiness and uprightness in every area except over, I will not allow Jesus to rule over my phone habits and what I look at on the internet. I won't do that. I'll allow Jesus' complete lordship over me except in my marriage, except in how I deal with my kids, except in that relationship with my neighbor whom I hate. Men and women, Jesus is Lord of all areas of life. All of it. And so if you have one of these little spots that you've decided... This is no man's land. This is mine. Can I encourage you today to repent and receive forgiveness and to declare that too under the Lordship of Christ? To confess your sin of withholding it from Him and give it back and let Christ fill that area of life too. And on top of that, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to just encourage you with this text a little bit. Let me just tell you some things that are true. You 
are not a fool for following Jesus. Everyone outside of the walls of this place, that entire world system out there that John calls the cosmos, okay, the world, will tell you that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you are an idiot. Can I tell you that that's not true? That that is the most logical, wise, important decision that you have ever made. You're not a fool for following Jesus. God has made it plain for anyone with eyes to see that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. And some people reject the evidence, but that is not because it isn't abundantly available. Praise God instead that He gave you and me the grace that we needed so we could see. Because, by the way, it isn't because of our brilliance and wonderful specialness that we came to believe in Jesus. Amen? This is because God opened our eyes. He caused the blind to see and the lame to walk and the dead to come to life. Praise God also for that. For opening your eyes so that you see. Praise God for the eternal life with Him that is our comfort and our hope in every trial and pain in this life. Praise God that you will one day be raised from the dead. Caused a minor scandal the last funeral I preached because Margaret Hurd is a city clerk and sells plots. And I told people that I was only going to rent mine. Because I'm not staying. When they plant me in the ground, one day this body is going to rise. And as the, as the old gospel song goes, ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Amen? I'm going to rise and meet my Lord. And so are you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is reassuring you in this text. One day, you're going to be raised to the resurrection of life. And by the way, highlight, underline, draw flashing lights around, whatever it takes. Verse 24 in this text. You will not come into judgment. You will not come into judgment. Your Bible might read, will not be condemned. When you stand before God, He will not say of you, well, you guilty sucker. How dare you come into my presence, right? He will say, son, daughter, welcome home. You will not come into judgment. You will not come into judgment. Praise God for that. If you're looking for things to be thankful for, this is a pretty good list. This is a pretty good list. You have passed from death to life. So let's pray. And let's offer the Father our thanksgiving. Amen? Father, we thank You that Jesus has made it abundantly clear that He is the Savior, the Son of God, the Son of Man, 
the true man, the true God who came into the world to save sinners like me and like these from sin and death and hell and instead to bring us into your presence, your family, everlasting joy, the resurrection of life. We run out of terms, Father, to explain what you have done for us. We have passed from judgment and death into life. And we are looking for the day when you will raise not just our spirits, but also our bodies that we might dwell with you in eternity forever. Father, we can't wait. We can't wait. And we love you and we give you praise for all that you have done for us. We are truly thankful in Jesus' name. Amen.